sounds like there's lots of great conversations happening and it'd be fantastic if you um, could continue them later on. Right now we're going to read the Bible and we're going to read from the book of Matthew chapter 21 and we're going to read verse 1 to 17. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Matt. Uh, It's a familiar passage perhaps to many of us. I wonder if you have fond memories of Uh, childhood wandering around carrying a a palm branch uh, or perhaps with your cloak. Uh, We had a few of our uh, St Jude's and Parkville families uh, have a go at this uh, last year in lockdown. I've got a couple of uh, things to show you. Here's the Ward family uh, with their palm branches. Uh, I think we've got a little video as well from the Grills family. Hail King Jesus! Hail King Jesus! Here he comes! Hail King Jesus! Hail King Jesus! Hail King Jesus! Hooray! (laughs) It's certainly a classic. Uh, It's a favourite for role plays. Um, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on the Sunday. The crowd give him a hero's welcome. Um, But by Friday, they'll be baying for his blood. And then the second part of our reading that we heard today... Jesus in the temple, it's another much-loved favourite, though perhaps for different reasons and not so much for role plays, thankfully. Uh, This one's the classic justification for our righteous anger. 
calling out injustice. Look, even Jesus got angry and turned over the tables. But what unites these two passages, and perhaps why Matthew has put them next to each other, is revolution. There's a new king in town, and he's got a new agenda. Jesus is overturning the status quo, shaking the foundations of the hierarchy and bringing a new world order. There's a new king in town, but this isn't Marxism or anarchy or any other type of political or social ideology. This revolution goes deeper, challenging the very spiritual and religious roots of God's people. Because as we're going to see, the new king rejects the old temple. He sets up a new temple and invites new worshippers as well. So we're going to take these in turn today. The new king, the new temple, the new worshippers. So let's jump in and see how this revolution begins. In verse 1, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. It's, it's hardly the stuff of revolutions, is it? Right? Where's the soaring rhetoric? Where's the give me freedom or give me death? Where's the revolution? Where's, where's the language that's going to whip this crowd into a frenzy? But that's where we're wrong, because actually we miss the signals that Jesus is sending here. It may not look like it, but he is sending signals. He's sending up a flare to say the revolution is on. So what's the flare? Well, there's a couple, actually. And the first one is the donkey. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah had told the Jews that their Messiah... God's king who would come to rescue and rule them, their Messiah, would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus deliberately gets a donkey to enter Jerusalem. He's sending up a signal to this crowd of Jewish pilgrims who are soaked in the Old Testament. They saw Jesus' power and authority in Galilee. Now they're coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And here he is ready to enter God's city on a donkey. He's sending up a signal. And secondly, he comes from the Mount of Olives. Another prophet, Malachi, speaks of God's deliverance coming from the Mount of Olives. Jesus is sending up flares saying, I'm God's king coming to rule and to rescue you. And the people are picking up these signals. Look at how they welcome him. They lay out the red carpet cloaks and branches on the road in front of him. They cry out to him, Hosanna to the son of David. They're basically saying, long live the king. Remember David, the great king of the Israelite nation? He rescued that nation from its enemies. His reign brought him peace and prosperity. But Israel has fallen from its former glory. It's a divided and conquered territory now. It's suffered from generations of subjugation and oppression and the Romans are the latest in the line of conquerors. So is it any wonder that they long for a son of David? 
someone to come and rescue and rule them. They've been looking for this Messiah for centuries. And now he's here to rescue them from Roman oppression and to rule them under God. For the crowd, this is certainly a revolution and it's very political. But there's more to it than that as well. Do you remember the movie Shrek uh, and his sidekick Donkey, right? The lovable companion, Donkey, who desperately wants to be a noble steed, but he's not, right? And that's the point. He's a donkey. And he can't do a lot on a donkey. They're not fast. They're not powerful. Sure, they can carry a heavy load, but they're unpredictable and stubborn and not very well disciplined. They're not the kind of animal that you want underneath you as you ride into battle against the powerful Roman war machine renowned for its brutality. So if this is a revolution and Jesus is the new king, why the donkey? It can only be because he's not just a new king, but a new kind of king altogether. He's not the kind of king that conquers by force. He's not the kind of king who wages war after war to subdue his enemies. He's not the kind of king who leaves a trail of dead men, dead and discarded women and traumatised children in his wake, as so often happened in the ancient world and even today. He's the kind of king who rides a donkey. And in that one powerful act of gentleness... He condemns all the kingdoms and empires gained through force. He rejects all our efforts to make ourselves great through force and through pushing others down. He condemns our self-promotion and our coercion of others. He condemns empires and nations forged through subjugation. Friends, I doubt there's a nation on earth that could stand with integrity before this king and his donkey. Certainly not our own, as Leon acknowledged. The new king brings judgment on the old kingdoms. And it's a warning for us against trusting uh, political coercion, whether conservative or progressive, God's kingdom is not advanced through force or coercion or laws. So we must not give our first allegiance to a a political cause. Our first allegiance is to this king who rides a donkey, who invites us to follow him in gentleness and humility. There's no place for aggressively asserting ourselves or our cause in God's kingdom. Because as we see, Jesus doesn't enter in a tank using military force. He doesn't enter in a presidential motorcade with all the signs and symbols of civil power and prestige. He enters in an old Toyota Camry. If 
functional, reliable, but he's not impressing anyone. Because he's here for more than a political revolution. Uh, Before they got to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus told his disciples why they were going. You might remember this. Uh, It's just in the chapter before, Matthew 20, uh, verse 17. Jesus said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Jesus is coming to rule and to rescue, but he's not going to rescue by force. He doesn't rescue by killing others. He rescues by giving his own life. Jesus rescues by dying. Because what the people in this crowd need like all people, is not a saviour to slay their enemies. They need a saviour to slay their sin. This crowd are enslaved to sin, like all humans apart from God, like our friends and work colleagues, like my family members who don't trust Jesus, perhaps like some of us here, if we haven't reconciled with God. If we're enslaved to sin, we live as though God doesn't exist, so we're trapped in living for ourselves. The way to freedom is not denying our sin and telling ourselves we're a good person. It's not telling ourselves that being selfish is okay. No, we need someone who knows our worst and yet still loves us and is willing to carry the load for us. Someone to carry the judgment that we would feel if others knew the worst about us. Someone who will carry the judgment of God who does know the worst about us. That's why Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He deliberately came to Jerusalem gentle and riding on a donkey to take our load of sin and guilt and shame and judgment, to literally put it to death. It put him to death so that it wouldn't kill us. God puts our shame and guilt and sin to death so that we can enjoy his love and grace in freedom, unencumbered by our our sin and selfishness. Friends, Jesus came to give his life for us. That's how he rescues us. That's why he didn't come in a tank or a motorcade. He came on a donkey to bear our burden. The new king come to rescue and to rule his people. Now, as soon as this new king enters Jerusalem, where does he go? He goes straight to the temple precinct and suddenly this subversive political revolution 
becomes a religious and spiritual one. Because the temple is the, it's the center of Jewish identity and culture. Their God, their strength and refuge lives here. This place, more than any other, tells them who they are. It's the MCG to Melbourne. It's the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House to Sydney. It's Big Ben for London. It's the Statue of Liberty for New York. And it's the Temple for Jerusalem. And at this time of year, in the lead-up to Passover, uh, it's a bustling hive of activity. Uh, All the pilgrims from across Israel are flooding in for Passover. They need to exchange their currency and and buy a lamb to slaughter for Passover. Uh, So, like, imagine Queen Vic Market, right, in the lead-up to to Christmas or Easter. That heaving crowd of shoppers, retailers calling out their produce, fresh cherries, right? The bodies are, are pressing in, it's loud and chaotic. And then Jesus enters. And suddenly the chaos is tinged with fear. Because he's driving out everyone, the buyers and the traders. He overturns the tables of the moneylenders and those selling doves. The first thing this new king does pierces the very heart of Jewish identity. Imagine a press conference out the front of the MCG. Imagine there's a new premier in Victoria. He or she is there with their hard hat on. Imagine it. As my first act as premier, we're flattening the MCG. As we see the wrecking balls swinging to and fro in the background. And after that, we're coming for Fed Square and the Arts Centre. (laughs) Right? No more AFL, no more cricket. Give us a bit of a sense of what Jesus is doing here, going right for the heart of Israelite identity and power. So why? Surely this is not the way to win friends. In verse 13, Jesus says... My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. God's temple is a place for prayer. It's a place for people to draw near to God in repentance and faith, for all the nations to come and approach God in prayer. How could you pray in the middle of Queen Vic Market? How could you pray with people selling doves and lambs and trading money? This commerce, ostensibly set up to help people draw near to God and get their sacrifices, is actually keeping people away from God. But this is more than just Jesus fighting back against corrupt and exploitative religious practices. Though he is doing that. This is actually a rejection of the whole temple and sacrificial system. Because Jesus, he's going after legitimate businesses here in a sense. The Old Testament required the offering of sacrifices for sin. And especially at at Passover, you could hardly travel all the day's journey from Galilee with your unblemished lamb and expect it to still be unblemished at, at the end of the trip, right? There's provision for taking your money and buying a lamb to sacrifice in in Jerusalem. The law also made allowances for the poor. 
Sometimes when they were required to offer a lamb, the law allows them to offer a pair of doves instead. So there's good reason for people selling doves there. These are legitimate businesses, but Jesus kicks them out because this new king is building a new temple, a new way to approach God, a new sacrifice for sins, a new way to be made clean and holy. There need be no more buying and selling in this temple because there'll be no more sacrifices to offer. Jesus will offer the one true sacrifice for sin, not a lamb or a dove, but his own body. As we're going to say as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we celebrate his one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. There's only one way to approach God. It's not through anything you can buy or sell. It's not through your hard work or good deeds. It's not even through the sacrifices you make for God. It's through Christ. He sacrificed himself for you. Only he can make us clean and holy and bring us into God's temple, into God's presence. And so he is the new temple. Through him and in his name, all nations can approach God in prayer. No buying or selling to get in the way, nothing more to offer. So we see Jesus is the new king come to rule and to rescue, and he's our new temple. But this revolution also gives birth to new worshippers. And they're not who you'd expect. It's not the chief priests of the old temple who come to worship at the new. No, Jesus' rejection of the old temple is a, a condemnation of them as well. Now look who comes to this new king. In verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. It's astonishing. Those with a disability. The people who'd been excluded from the old temple up until this time because of an overzealous application of the law. They're now welcome with Jesus. They can approach God and seek his blessing because there's a new king and a new temple. Finally, someone they can trust. Someone who will respect them, see them, welcome them, and give them care and attention. The new king comes on a donkey. He clears away the traders. And finally, those with disabilities can find a place in God's temple. You might not realise we have an indispensability committee here at St Jude's. Uh, they're striving to help us to be a church that is more inclusive for those with a disability. I'm very thankful for this and for their work because 
I don't have a lot of personal experience of this myself. But Jesus' life and example challenges me to ensure that we're not excluding people from his presence by making it difficult for them to meet with us. That could be because of our physical environment, could be because of our social habits, could be because we lack the care and initiative to reach out. Friends, if you're someone with a disability here with us today, I hope we do make you feel welcome. And I'd invite you to let me know if there's ways that we could do that better. For the rest of us, what about those with a disability who are not here with us today? How can we proactively include people with disabilities in our community? How can we share the hope and the good news of Christ? Could you get involved with Recess or Jesus Club as an expression of God's love? Could we be more mindful before and after church of how we can include others? Of those we know in other contexts during our week? Because our new king welcomes people with disabilities as his new worshippers. So who are we to exclude them? They're not the only new worshippers. There are some kids in the temple markets. Uh, They must have learnt the chant from the crowd because now they're calling out, Hosanna to the son of David. These are the most theologically literate kids uh, I know. They certainly know their Israelite history. Hosanna to the son of David. Do they realise they're calling Jesus God's chosen king and asking him to rescue and rule them? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. They certainly sound like they're worshipping him. They get the attention of the authority of the authorities. And uh, even though Jesus is not their father, he gets the question that every parent dreads. Verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? Imagine your parents and your kids are saying something outrageous revolutionary, scandalous. You're walking down Sydney Road up here and your three-year-old yells out, ScoMo's the best Prime Minister ever! (laughs) Imagine the looks, the judgment. But in classic Jesus fashion, uh, he's ready to judge the judges and flip it upside down. Verse 16, yes, Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? How fitting that the humble and gentle king who rides a donkey is not praised by the high and mighty, but by children. Did you notice in that quote from Jesus, which is from Psalm 8, it's about praising God. They're praising God when they praise this king. 
God puts his praise on the lips of children. Last week during the kids' spot, uh, all the kids were up here on the carpet, you might remember. We were talking about generosity. Uh, Leon asked, what could you give to others? We heard about uh, about giving money or a car or a house. Uh, Car or a house, our kids put me to shame for generosity. Uh, One child, I think it was Elsie, uh, put her hand up and said, your head. (laughs) And that's what I did too. (laughs) I laughed and uh, thought to myself, what good would my head be to someone else? And that would kill me. I'd be giving away my life. But do you see the irony? I would never give away my head. John the Baptist gave his head to tell the world about Jesus. I laugh at the thought of giving away my life, but this gentle king did just that for you and me. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Let's pray that God would help us to be a little more like infants and children. A little more ready to praise him. Loving Father, we praise you for our gentle king. He came riding on a donkey. We praise you that his praise is on the lips of children and infants, not on the high and mighty. Please help us to bow to him, to be humble and gentle, to not be coercive. Lord, we praise you for the way he opens up your presence to us a new temple. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer through what our Lord Jesus has done. We praise you that the young and those with disabilities, those who were excluded, are welcomed by him and included with you. Please help us to be more like them, more ready to seek your healing more ready to praise you as our King, more ready to bow and worship you, uh, not only on Sunday as he enters to praise, but each day and every day. Amen. Friends, we're about to do just that, to stand and to praise our gentle King. So please stand as we sing together.